All right. I hope, as Pastor Derek said, you have had a great uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Hey, I want to let you know as well, you have um, this card in your bulletin. Um, it uh, shows us what's coming up here in the Christmas season. Next week, we begin a brand new series called Light of the World. Uh, so that will kind of take us through our Christmas time messages. On the 17th, we'll have a great concert in here. And you see that there. And then on the back side, uh, Christmas Eve services here, 9.30, 11.15, and 5 o'clock. So uh, take that, use that, put that in your car, put that somewhere where you will interact with people. Maybe it's in a book, maybe it's in a binder for your school, for your workplace, uh, whatever that may be. That is an invitation, not only for you, but for someone else who you know who needs to be in a church service uh, this Advent season, perhaps beginning even with next week. Well, as we are on the verge of uh, that whole Advent season, let me take just a moment to look back backwards for just a bit, all right? How many of you like a good story? Yeah, I think all of us like a good story. I want to share a story with you today that talks about how God is always at work in our lives. And, um, you know, I think about some of the great stories of the people here at First Baptist Church. This last weekend, I had a gal email me uh, her story and how she got baptized here just a couple of weeks ago and how God had just been interacting with her, changing her life, redirecting her life to where it is. And she's a whole lot more healthy at the end of 2017 than at the beginning. Um, but it is just amazing to see how God's story interacts with our story, changes our story when we allow that to happen. I mean, that's what the Old Testament is. Filled with story after story after story. People after people after people who have obeyed God. Some who have not obeyed God. We hear stories from both sides. Um, all of us, prone to wander, as the song said, every now and then. But then redirected as God redirects us back into what he would have us do. And in the New Testament, Paul reflects upon that thought when, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to the book of Philippians. I'm going to share just a few verses in the book of Philippians here today, and uh, you see the other ones that are on the outline. But in Philippians chapter 1, he's writing to a group of people who um, make up a church. And it was a church probably a whole lot smaller than this. It may have even been in a home. But Paul is now in prison for his faith. And he's encouraged by these people that he knows. And he says this to the church at Philippi in verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And then he writes these words that many of you know, many of you heard, some of you possibly have them memorized where he says this. For I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That as God is working in your life, he is convinced, it says in the NIV, that God is at work and he has not began something that he will not complete. And he's doing that in all of us here in this past year and will be in the years to come. And that's how your story interacts with God's story. In fact, you know, it's a lot of fun 
as I said at the beginning, they come across stories where maybe we forgot about the God connection, or maybe we even forgot about how God was in the midst of a story. One of those stories is the first Thanksgiving. And I'm not sure if you know this story, but it's how God used a Native American by the name of Squanto to change history. How many of you have ever heard of Squanto? Raise your hand. Have you heard of Squanto? All right, maybe half of you have. Now, I didn't say Tonto, all right? That, that's a little different guy, okay, Lone Ranger and such, okay? This is Squanto, real guy, real person. Um, this is a story that you probably will not ever hear in our public school systems. It's probably a story that you probably will never hear um, from our American history books. It is a story, though, that actually we get to share at our school, First Baptist Christian School. Their kids are taught this story from when they are in kindergarten. And I wanted to read it to you because it's by an author by the name of Eric Metaxas. And Eric Metaxas is a New York Times best-selling author. He wrote a lot of great biographies of Christian men and women. Uh, Martin Luther wrote one on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, he wrote a great couple of books. And if you do not have these books, put these down as books to read. Seven Men and the Secrets of Their Greatness and Seven Women and the Secrets of Their Greatness, where he traces some well-known Christian men and women and their influence on our country and our country's history. This is one of those that he wrote called Squanto and the Miracle of Thanksgiving. In fact, if you know Chuck Colson, Chuck Colson is on Breakpoint, um, very famous um, uh, for many years, and President uh, Nixon's Watergate investigation gave his life over to Christ. Great historian now says this on the back of the book. He says, the only thing more amazing than this true story uh, from American history is the fact that so few people have even heard it. He says, I'm glad to know that my colleague Eric Metaxas has written this wonderful book. And so I want to make sure you know about this as we're ending this holiday um, of Thanksgiving and headed into the time of Advent. But this may be something that you, when you go back to your workplaces tomorrow, when you go back to talking to friends and family, and you say, they ask you, what did you do this weekend? Perhaps more than just talking about I stuffed my face, you can talk about how you learned about God's influence in our country from the very beginning. True story. Eric Metaxas writes this. It was in the year of our Lord, 1608. Few white men had ever seen North America. But everywhere there were various tribes of natives. Some who were friendly and trusting. Others who were fierce and cruel. On the chilly gray coast of what is today called Massachusetts, there lived a tribe called the Patuxets who were as friendly and trusting as any that had ever lived. One of them, a boy of about 12, was called Tisquantum or Squanto. One day, while Squanto and some other Patuxic braves were hunting for lobsters along the shore, they saw a giant vessel. It was the size of a hundred canoes. The men aboard it wore strange clothing and had hair on their faces like fur. But Squanta was not frightened. He had heard of such men. These are the men who came, who come every few years from across the world and across the waters, Squanto told his friends. They've come to trade with us. Squanto knew that they often brought bright beads, glinting knives, axe heads, and iron pots to exchange for animal pelts and furs. Let's see what they brought, said Squanto. 
and he and his companions excitedly raced down to the water. At first, the men seemed friendly to the young braves and offered them food. But then, without warning, the men attacked. They grabbed the trusting Patuxets and threw them to the ground, tying stiff ropes around their wrists and their feet. Squanto had never been so frightened. The men dragged the braves to their giant ship and threw them into the dark hole beneath the ship's deck, laughing all the while. Then they locked the hatch. Squanto shivered in the darkness. The ropes hurt his wrists and his ankles. The ship began to move, and Squanto did not know where it was going or indeed if he would ever see sunlight again. Why had these men done this? Squanto listened to the water lapping against the hull of the ship. Somehow he knew that he would be leaving the world of his childhood forever. Days passed. And then weeks. They had traveled for so long that it seemed to Squanto they must now be on the other side of the sky, beyond the moon, the sun, and the stars. Where were they going? Then one day the ship dropped anchor. At long last they had come to land. The hatch was opened and Squanto and his fellow captives were brought ashore. The glaring sun burned their eyes. The air was dry and hot and everything was dusty from the great heat. Squanto did not know it yet, but he was now in the country of Spain, in a city called Malaga. One of the men from the ship roughly herded Squanto and the other braves toward a crowd of people on the dock. One by one, the braves were forced to stand before the jeering crowd. They were being sold as slaves. Squanto watched his companions as each one was sold and taken away forever. But God had another plan for Squanto. On the dock that morning stood a group of men who were different from the others. These men were called monks, and they served God. When it was Squanto's turn to be sold, one of the monks held up a small bag of heavy coins, and a man from the ship snatched the coins and shoved Squanto toward the monks. As the monks led Squanto to the monastery where they lived, They spoke kindly to him in words Squanto could not understand. The monks fed Squanto, gave him a comfortable place to sleep, and helped him understand that they meant him no harm. As time passed, the monks taught Squanto their language and about their faith. They explained that the God they worshipped saw everything that had ever happened. He knows the future as well as the past, the monks explained. And all the people in the world are God's children. God loves you, they said. And he has seen all that you have been through in your life. If you, Squanto, will trust him, he will use those difficulties in ways that you could never imagine. The monks knew that Squanto missed his family. So they tried to help him find a way to go back to America. Finally, they came upon a good plan. But first, Squanto would have to travel all the way to England. That's where the trading ships were that sometimes sailed across the great Atlantic to Squanto's home. So about five years after Squanto had first arrived in Spain, the time finally came for him to leave. He bid the dear monks farewell and traveled northward in a ship to London, England. London was an unbelievable sight. 
It made the city of Malaga seem as small as the Batuxic village he came from. There were soaring towers that seemed to touch the clouds and long bridges that stretched across all the way across the great river Thames. All the streets were filled with people and horses and carriages. And in the great palace there lived a man whom the Londoners called King James. He was the great chief, the sacrament of the entire land. The monks had sent Squanto to the home of a London merchant named John Slaney. After hearing Squanto's story, Slaney and his family welcomed Squanto into their home. As soon as I find another ship headed for America, Slaney promised, you will be on it, Squanto. Squanto's heart leapt. He was finally going home. But it might be a long while until such a ship is found, Slaney warned. Until then, though, you can stay here with us. We will teach you our language and our ways. Perhaps you will be able to pay your passage back to America by working as a translator on one of the trading ships. Squanto sighed heavily, but at least now there was a sense of hope. He would stay in London with the Slaneys and work in their stables until a ship was found that would carry him home. At last, five years later, in the year 1816, excuse me, 1618, a ship was found. Squanto could hardly believe it. It had been 10 years since he had been kidnapped from the Patuxic as a boy of 12 years of age. But at long last, he was heading home. With tears in his eyes, Squanto bid farewell to the Slaneys and to the great city of London with all its towers and bridges. Then Squanto boarded the ship and sailed westward toward America. Far across the Atlantic Ocean, the ship stopped in Newfoundland at a large trading post where it would remain until spring. And again, Squanto waited. When at last spring arrived, Squanto boarded the ship one more time. As the many days passed, Squanto thought back over the last ten years. Had he imagined them? Was he really going home? Then one day as Squanto stood peering across the waters, he saw land. Land ho! He said, hurrah! And as the ship drew closer, Squanto saw that he was not far from where he had been kidnapped all those years ago. Home, he said. Squanto went ashore and immediately began running towards his village, but something was wrong. The fields around the village were empty and untended. There was no one on the path to greet him. When he reached the village, there wasn't a soul to be seen. Not even a dog barked at his arrival. What had happened? Worried and confused, Squanto walked to the village of the neighboring tribe some miles away, and there Squanto learned the terrible news. While he had been away, a terrible illness had struck. His whole village had been sick. No one survived. This news was more than Squanto could bear. Had his years of of exile and his long journey back been for nothing? And then Squanto asked the question, how could God have allowed this? For a time, Squanto lived with his neighboring tribe. But as he watched the happy families all around him, his sadness only grew. Finally, he went to live in the woods by himself. And there Squanto sat, listening to the wind and to the birds singing in the swaying trees. As he pondered the great sorrow in his heart, Squanto talked to God. 
when the trees began to bud again, a tribesman from another village came to visit Squanto. His name was Samoset. And he told him an amazing story. The year before, a shipload of families had come and settled in Patuxent, in the very place where Squanto had lived as a boy. Samoset told Squanto he must come and see. So Squanto agreed. When Squanto came to the edge of what had once been his village, he marveled at the changes that had been made. Then he saw them, English people. They spoke and dressed just like those who had been so kind to him in London. And Squanto rejoiced to see children again playing in the land that he himself had played in. Squanto approached the English people and began speaking to them in their own language. Good morning, he called. My name is Squanto. The English were so amazed that they could not speak. How did this native know their language so well? Then Squanto told them the sad story of his kidnapping, of his time in Spain and in London, and his long journey back home. Then the English people told Squanto of their own search for a new land. Because these people, who were called pilgrims, chose to worship God differently from other English people, many of them have been arrested and thrown in jail. So they had left England and traveled to Holland, where they lived for several years. But when the pilgrims saw that their children were forgetting the English ways and were picking up the habits of the new country, the pilgrims decided to travel across the ocean to the new world. They trusted that God would lead them to a new home. And God led us to this very spot, one of the pilgrims said. We have named it Plymouth in honor of the town in England where we once lived. Then they told Squanto about the terrible first winter in their new home. Half of them died from sickness and starvation. We didn't have time to build proper houses, they explained. The winds were bitter and, they, and the cold came in through the cracks in our huts. Many of us were already sick and weak from the long journey across the ocean, and then there wasn't enough food. As the pilgrims told their story, the sorrow in their voices spoke to Squanto's heart. He knew what it was like to lose loved ones. William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth, then spoke. It's like the story of Joseph from our sacred scriptures, he said. Like you... Joseph was also taken from his home and sold as a slave. But God had a plan for him. Through Joseph, God was able to save many people from starving. What man had intended for evil, <coughs> God intended for good. Then Bradford smiled at Squanto. Perhaps God has sent you, Squanto, to be our Joseph. In the weeks that followed, Squanto felt like a child again. It was so good to see his village filled with people. The pilgrims worked hard to learn the new ways of their home. Squanto showed them how to put, plant corn by burying three kernels along with fish for fertilizer. He taught them how to find and catch eels in the muddy streams. And he showed them the best places to look for lobsters among the sea rocks. And when autumn came, the pilgrims decided to set aside a time to thank God for his merciful blessings. They invited Squanto and the other braves from Samoset's tribe to join them. And when the great day came, 90 warriors appeared from the forest, carrying deer, wild turkeys, and all manner of vegetables. This would be a great feast. 
When everyone was seated, Governor Bradford began to pray. Thank you, Lord, for sending Squanto to us, he prayed. We know that your hand has been on him through all of his trials and that you have prepared him to be our guide and our friend in this time of great need. Squanto is your living answer to our tears and our prayers. And in his heart, Squanto also thanked God for the pilgrims. For they had shown Squanto that God really had used him as part of his great plan. Just as the Spanish monks had said many years ago. Hallelujah. Who but the glorious God of heaven could be so miraculously weaved together the wandering lives of a lonely Patuxic brave and a struggling band of English pilgrims in such a way that would bless the whole world for centuries to come. And so, at this Thanksgiving time, when you thank God for all that he has given to you, remember to thank him for Squanto, the Patuxic brave, who is God's wonderful gift to America in the rosy dawn of its history. Now, that's a great story that you need to know God has used. God used a person like Squanto. Squanto not knowing the Lord, but sold into slavery, taken across the great sea, monks buying him, training him the ways of the Lord, and then used by God in a way that he could never imagine to begin with. It's the reason that I wrote it on your outline, God at work. And so for just a second here, I want to kind of relate the scriptural stories of people that God was working with, as well as the story of Squanto, as well as our story here in 2017. And I look at the first kind of thought there of God working in the capture of Squanto. In fact, Squanto said the words. We don't know if he said them exactly, but the author kind of gives the liberty to say that. Not knowing, as he sat at the bottom of a ship, if he'd ever see daylight again. And as I think about that thought, I think of someone like Jonah, an Old Testament prophet, who God said, go this way. I have things for you to do. And Jonah said, this way is where I'm going. And yet God got him on a ship. Eventually, Jonah ended up at the bottom of the ship. Eventually, Jonah ended up at the bottom of the ocean before a large fish came, swallowed him, and spit him up on the land that God wanted him to go to. I think about that story. I think how God was always at work. I think about Joseph, the story that was alluded to here by William Bradford. Joseph, who sold into slavery by his brothers. You can read the story in Genesis. It's a fantastic story of seeing how God is always at work. Sold into slavery at the bottom of a well, pulled out of that by a traveling band of nomads, sold to the Pharaoh, lands again in prison, lands at the bottom, going from the palace to the prison, back up to the palace, being second in command. And then Joseph's brothers come, not knowing it's him, And Joseph sharing those famous words, well, you know what, you intended it for harm, but God, God intended this for good. Joseph, God always at work in his life. God is always watching out for them, just as he's making his story part of their story. And you know, I'm not sure how you walk in here in 2017. I'm not quite sure where you have come from, whether it's been one of those difficult, difficult years that you are glad in another month it will be done. Or maybe it's a great year that you have celebrated and rejoiced. Maybe family, maybe with friends, maybe your business, whatever it may be. 
I don't know if you come in here feeling like you're at the ship's bottom or if you've been raised up, but just know God is working. Has he worked in Joseph's life? Has he worked in Jonah's life? In fact, the verse that comes to mind is that verse out of Romans chapter 8 where Paul pens this, Romans 8, 28, saying, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Paul writing these words, maybe on house arrest. Paul certainly writing the book to the Philippians as he was in prison there. Paul saying, we know that if we love God, all things are going to work out. All things are going for the good. We know God's in the midst of this for those who are called according to his purpose. And God has that same truth to share with you today. And maybe this is a year that you need to grab onto that and say, okay, God, I don't see where you were at work all the time in 2017, but maybe in this next year you will see some of that come to fruition. Because I also see the next part of the story where Squanto is sold to the monks. And I realize how integral those monks were in seeing a wrong. The monks seeing that this could be a wasted life just sold into slavery. Or it can be a life that we invest in. It can be a life that we pour into and tell them what the scriptures say. To tell them what God is alive. To tell them how he can know the Lord as well. I am sure those monks did not have a clue how much Squanto would impact those first pilgrims who came. Allowing them to survive. Allowing their religion to germinate and to grow here in the new land. But God intersected Squanto's life through those monks. They saw wrong. They stepped in to stop it. Just as many of you t- do that today. You know, as a church, we um, recognize that there's another form of slavery in this, in this world in 2017. There's a sex slavery industry that is pr- running wild, even along the I-5 corridor that we live in. We've been given to a couple of years of a ministry that has grown out of Modesto. They're wanting to expand it up here in, Cal- uh, in Stockton as well. Some of you have been praying for, maybe even stepping in when you see abortion clinics and other things like that. You see a wrong, you step in, you try and make it right. Maybe homelessness. Perhaps it's people not having food, the many boxes, the hundreds of boxes you as a congregation have brought. Even the gifts from the caring Christmas tree of saying everyone should have something to open, something to hold on to, something that says I'm valued. A gift can say just that. I'd venture to say... You have had people who have intersected your life just as these monks intersected Squanto's life as well. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it was a grandparent of yours. Maybe it was a good friend. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. I don't know who it is, but God uses people like this to impact others. And you do not know how much you might be impacted. By someone who just plants some seeds in your life. But let me take it the other way for just a second. And that would be to say this. Are there people in your lives whom you're impacting? Are there people that you would say, I see something in their lives that is redeemable. I see something that I want to make right. I see a place where I can teach them about the Lord and the Lord's ways. I see them a place... 
maybe you're a school teacher and you're in the public schools, you're not allowed to say the name of Jesus, but you are there, you are praying for that young life, you are investing in them so they'll ask, and at a certain time you can invite. Maybe you're in a workplace where you're investing in someone else, but you see how you can interact with somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a child, maybe it's a grandchild. Someone that you interact with, someone that you can make a difference in. You know, Matthew chapter 9, we see the story of a group of men who bring a paralytic to Jesus. That paralytic could never have gone on his own. But these men carry him to Jesus. And Jesus says, because of their great faith. It wasn't the great faith of the paralytic. It was the great faith of the men who carried him there. Sometimes it's your faith, it's my faith that helps others take a great step. If you're a parent here. You know how you need to invest in your children. And I would encourage you to do that above all else. God has given them into your lives for such a time, for only 16 years, 18 years, whatever it may be, 20 years that they're living in your home. Invest in them. Grandparents do the same if you have the blessings of having your grandchildren around to be invested in the lives of your grandkids. Look what God's Word says out of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, we are God's workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus. For what? What's the word we're created for? We're created for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has good works, just like he prepared those monks to have Squanto be ready to be sold to them so they could invest in his life. God has prepared you for some good works as well. And some of them you might recognize. Some of them you might not as much. But always walking with the Lord, he is, al- he is always at work. Always at work. You know, I think about even last uh, Sunday, where dozens and dozens of you, we had about 120, 150 or so people doing work over at the Scottish Rite, the old Scottish Rite building, now our community center. Here's some guys wrestling with the bushes out there, kind of trying to chop those things down. Um, here's our trail life, a group of guys, about 20 of them, who were brought over to help us landscape and do some work in there as well. Uh, here's a couple other gals who are, oh, one of them sitting down on the job. Whoop, she here. I think she was at the first service. Uh, um, uh, there's a painting that we were doing on the insides of the grounds as well. I think the next picture is of some guys who are already doing some remodeling on the inside of the building too. Um, oh, oh, this is kind of fun. Um, this is uh, Sharon Mackin, who has taken a sledgehammer to that little altar out that was out in front of their building. Um, I think the next picture, Michael, I think this one is of you. You are very intense in this picture right here. You are knocking that thing down, and Roger Davis is next to you supervising that. Um, and uh, what do we have the next picture there? Oh, just a group of people working, just, just stuff that we're hauling changing the face of that place. In fact, here's what's interesting about this. Susan, can you blow that one up? There are a couple of people right in the middle, these two people right here. Understand this. I don't want anybody to say I'm too young or too old to do good works. Because these people here, are they here today, Joy and Darlene Hanger? Where, are, are they here? Not, not this morning, okay? Joy uh, is right there, and his wife Darlene is in pink right behind him. He is, uh, July will be 90 years old. And his wife, Darlene, 
wife Darlene is 89 years old next month. I saw them in the congregation as we all gathered up in the seats up there preparing to work. I called them out because I said, you guys have been a part of this church for years. They have been working. In fact, Joy did a lot of the remodeling that took place in here in the early 90s with his woodwork and other things he did. And yet saying, I'm never too old to work. I'm never too old to do the good works that God has for me. And so whether you are three or you are 90 or something in between, God has created good works for you to do, for you to walk in them. And maybe today you realize you're one of those monks for someone like Squanto. You have someone in your life that you've invested in. And if not, it's not too late to take that step and invest in other people. I think about another story in the midst of Squanto's life where we see him in his wilderness days where he went home to discover his people had been wiped out. Squanto pulled himself into isolation, kind of was in the wilderness. I I imagine Squanto could have been angry at God, or he could have prepared himself to say, okay, God, what's next? And we all come across those parts in our lives. We all come across story. Paul came across that in his life. Joseph came across that in his life. It was their choice. What were they going to do with the situation God had allowed them to be in? And maybe you're here today. You thought Thanksgiving would go a little differently than it did. You had some people at the table that were a little cantankerous. Or maybe you didn't have a table. Maybe you were alone this this, uh, Thanksgiving time. What's God doing in the midst of you? Maybe you're here today. You're a school. Maybe you're a senior in high school or entering close to college. Maybe you didn't get into a college or a school of your choice. Maybe you didn't get promoted at work in this last year as you thought maybe you would. Maybe you're desiring to have children in your life. You're newly married or you've been married for a while and you can't conceive. You're frustrated and saying, God, what are you doing in the midst of this? Maybe a family member of yours passed away in this past year. Maybe you've had some health problems, some health concerns that shout, uh, kind of some doubt on the future of what your life's going to be like or what you're going to be doing. Maybe this past year you've been through a divorce or maybe you've had a broken relationship. You cannot always control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond to what happens to you. Let me say that again. You cannot control what happens to you, but you can control how you respond what happens to you. And know that everything that happens to you is not good. Scripture does not say that out of Romans 8, 28, but it does say God can work all things for the good for those who love him and called according to his purpose. And so you look to someone like Moses for 40 years being prepared in the wilderness for the work that God had for him to do. You look at the story again of Joseph, thrown into slavery, traveled, thrown at the bottom of the hit of a jail cell, and then brought back up to be second in command. Imprisoned, but didn't turn bitter, and God made things work out in his life. And that's where the story comes in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, that famous verse where we see it says this, For as for you, as Joseph talked to his brothers who did evil to him, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive, as they are today, because Joseph was a planner, and Joseph had the food, and saved his family. God had him in that place for such a time as this. You look at people like that, you look at Esther and other stories. Say, God's at work. God is always at work. 
And so my question to you today is this. Where has God been at work? And maybe you've missed it. As you look back over this past year, and you've got about a month to do some of that reminiscing and thinking about this. Where has God been at work? Because I can see how God was active in even preparing Squanto for the pilgrims. And how they escaped the religious persecution and allowed them to prosper. And then allowed, obviously, the first Thanksgiving that came about and the celebration that they had. It all, again, comes back to that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 verse. Where again we see that it says, I am sure of this. I am sure of this, says Paul. That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back again, you'll see how it works out. When God started salvation inside of you, he will see that to completion. He will see that sanctification. Salvation is that one-time experience where you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But sanctification is that ongoing process of becoming more like Jesus. And so what I want us to do here today is I want us just to read this verse again together. So we'll cement that into our minds. As we head into a brand new season of Advent and then into a new year, we will know no matter what is taking place... God is at work. Would you read it with me? Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Read it together. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, I thank you that that day is coming when one day we will see you face to face where one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord. God, until that day comes, you have work for us to do. God, until that day comes, your spirit is alive and active and working in us. And Lord, I I know we don't always sense that. I know we don't always see that. And Lord, there are right turns or left turns that are made where we question. God, are you in the midst of this? God, are you directing this? And folks, if you're here today and and you've had some of those in this past year, our God is a big enough God to take those questions. Our God is a big enough God to allow you to wonder. But you don't have to if you've stayed in step with him. You don't have to wonder what he's doing because if you've walked according to his ways, you know he's up to something because God is always at work. Maybe you're here today and and you realize where maybe you stepped out of fellowship with him. You realize today where maybe you took a turn to the left instead of to the right. God will not force you, but God will use those circumstances to guide you back. Maybe there'll be some hurt. Maybe there'll be some scars. Yes. But rest assured, God is still working because God is always at work. God, my prayer for those of us who are called according to your purposes, who love you and have said yes to your son, is that we might spare ourselves from the scars and the hurts and the pains that Satan wants to bring about, that maybe others want to intend for evil. But God, we may walk in your ways, and we may bless as you've called us to. Folks, maybe you're here today, and um, you didn't know that there was a God in this universe who's orchestrating things behind the scenes. Maybe you've never experienced that. Maybe you didn't even know some of the history of America and how God has been involved since the beginning of time. 
Maybe you didn't know there were real people in the scriptures that God was using and speaking to and sharing with. What I want to share with you today is that yes, that God is real. And yes, that God is here by the power of his spirit in this place. Because that God sent his son Jesus into this world. That's what we celebrate at Advent. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. As a baby, he came to live. Then he grew and taught us how to live. And he went to the cross to die. And the reason that he went to that cross to die was because there was sin that needed to be taken care of. That was my sin. That was your sin. God allowed him to die on a cross so that blood would be shed and that sin can be covered and be forgiven. And that same Jesus did not stay in the tomb, but three days later he rose to new life. He rose out of that tomb saying, one day, one day if you believe in me, you'll be with me as well. So folks, if you're here today and you've never yet taken that decision to say yes to him, today would be the best day you could ever do that. Thanksgiving weekend 2017, you can look back on and say, God, that was the time I gave my life, my heart to you. Because I knew you were at work. And I knew I wanted to be in step with you. If you're in that place today, just say those words in your heart. Lord Jesus, would you come into my life today? I invite you in as Lord and Savior. Today, I follow you. Got to thank you for the many who have done that. Some in here, maybe for years. Some in here for decades upon decades upon decades. God, if we reflect, we can see the ways that you've worked in our lives. And I pray that as we head into this Christmas season, Lord, that it wouldn't be too hectic and busy for us to contemplate, for us to think, for us to dwell upon how we've seen you work and how we've seen you act, even as you've come into this world as a child, intersecting our lives because you knew we needed a Savior. God, I thank you that you are always at work. May we be aware of that. May we understand that in a greater way in the days and the months and the years ahead. Lord, thank you. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.